Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition. The 54th edition of Vinitali will be held from the 10th to the 13th of April, right here in Verona. To discover more about Vinitali and get your tickets, visit vinitali.com. This year, the Italian Wine Podcast will be live and in person in Pavilion 6, Stand A7. So come on down and say hello. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Cynthia Chaplin, and this is Voices. Every Wednesday, I will be sharing conversations with international wine industry professionals, discussing issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion through their personal experiences working in the field of wine. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Voices. This is Cynthia Chaplin, and today I'm happy to welcome Regine Russo. Uh, She's been in love with wine for years, but she didn't think there was a business in it, and I know that feeling very well. But in 2013, she realized that she loved educating people about the joys of wine, and it sparked her to found Shall We Wine, a Chicago-based wine and spirits marketing, promotions, and event company. And since then, her career has taken off, and she's been nominated for Wine Enthusiast Wine Star Awards, as well as becoming renowned for her wine education and writing skills. She holds a Level 2 certification from the International Sommelier Guild, and she's a very vocal advocate for diversity and equity in the wine industry. So welcome to the show, Regine. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. I'm so happy to talk to you today. You have such an interesting background. You split your childhood between Chicago and Haiti, which, uh, as you know, I grew up in Ohio and now I'm in Verona. So very different worlds for sure. Um, How did you find your way into the wine world after a childhood of Chicago and Haiti? Thank you for asking that question. It's one of my uh, favorite uh, questions to answer. So I was uh, a student at Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois. So in a small town, I think you can relate to that. Absolutely. And um, French, uh, obviously, from you know my intro, your your question was my first language, uh, having grown up in Haiti. So I was able to retain uh, the language and speak French and Creole at home with my family, more Creole than French. But my senior year in college, I decided to do a study abroad program in uh, Besançon in France uh, because I wanted to reconnect with the language and I wanted to be fluent and because I knew there would be value in retaining uh, that part of my culture. So while in Besançon, as you know, life would have it, um, I was invited to one of the other students' um, home for for dinner. And, you know, I love sharing this because I believe that, you know, our destinies, we just have to follow the universe and it will lead us to our destiny. So I'm invited to this uh, student's home and um, it's a beautiful home and one of the ones that I, I just always remember. And I have a fantasy of living in a home like this. And um, I walk into the dining room and I remember there being maybe six, but in my imagination, there were 14 bottles of wine on the table. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I love that dining room already. Exactly. And it so happened that the father owned a wine shop in town. And as his guest, he decided to 
do a wine tasting or a wine presentation for me. And uh, I remember being in that room and getting chills and, you know, not fully understanding everything that he was sharing, but having this distinct knowing that this was connected to my my destiny. I, I really fell in love, as I describe in an article that I wrote for Pix Magazine, I fell in love with this invitation to a world that I was never preving to, right? That a world that just wasn't like open to me. And that was it. In that moment, I knew that wine would be a part of my life. Um, I didn't know how, but I, I knew that whatever he was introducing me to, uh, I would feel connected to for the rest of my life. That's such a warm story. Such a, I think that really resonates with a lot of people in the wine industry, you know, finding something magical in that one particular first glass of wine kind of a thing. I love that it happened for you in France, which is even better. Absolutely. <laughs> But it, it's it's interesting about saying that, you know, the door wasn't really open to you in wine before that. And I, I know that you've said from a young age, you noticed the exclusivity within the industry. You know, the wine world presents often, even nowadays, as white and rich and male. Um, and I just wonder how you got your head around this obstacle to your success, because you obviously fell in love with wine that day. And then what happened? Well, so I want to answer the question in two ways. Um, I have always been an outsider in the United States because I come from, I grew up, although I was born in Chicago, I grew up in Haiti. So when I came home, I had a strong accent. I had, you know, there was just some cultural nuances that I, I couldn't connect to or didn't understand because, you know, my formative years were spent in another country. So that is a superpower, right? Because knowing that I didn't quite fit in and knowing that I wasn't expected to fit in, I had to learn other ways of navigating in American culture. So when, you know, when I started my career, you know, I already knew how to make room for myself, right? And we're talking about the wine industry, but this is fact in every industry for, or most industries for people of color. You know, it's not just, you know, this, it's not just wine. So I, I guess to answer your question, I have to say that by the time I joined the wine world, I already learned how, what I needed to do in order to succeed, what I needed to do in order to get people's attention because they didn't expect to see me. So, you know, that was true when I was in pharmaceutical sales, when I was in litigation consulting, um, no one expected to see me. Does that, does that answer your question? It does. It's so interesting. The The concept of I didn't fit in is one thing, but the concept of I wasn't expected to fit in, I think is very interesting that no one expected to see you, that, that you weren't expected to be in that space. I think that's a far more interesting conversation to look at. I and mean, we all know there need to be more black and brown stakeholders and mentors in the wine sector. But I think 
this is sort of starting to touch on other areas. You know, you've said there needs to be more active anti-racism. And I think that concept of I wasn't even expected to be there has a lot to do with that, you know, racist attitude that unfortunately has been part of the wine sector. You know, thank goodness we live in an era where we're starting to see that change. And I hope it um, will continue to change. But we know already that, you know, in the U.S. in particular, white-owned small businesses are twice as likely to receive bank financing compared to Black-owned small businesses. You know, only 2% of wine industry members you know, identify as Black. You know, how has this played out in your career? Where do you see that kind of exclusion in our wine sector? What strategies do you think you used to combat it? And, and you know, how would you advise people who want to come into the industry to, you know, manage to smash these obstacles. It's not a matter of handling them. It's a matter of getting rid of them, really, I think. Yeah, I, I wish I had um, I wish I had an answer because this is something that I think about. Let me say this. I, I think my advice would be you have to see yourself in that position, right? You have to understand that as you, you know, if you are an, a person of color, and you're trying to create space for yourself in the wine industry or any industry. Number one, you have to wrap your mind around the fact that you belong and that you can make a space for yourself. Now, on a daily basis, and it's really important for me to say this is beyond wine. This is an issue with a you know with our country and with our world right true absolutely yeah because if i say to someone you know close your eyes and describe a sommelier and you know there's going to be a very specific person that is described and it's rarely going to that person will rarely look like me right so in order for me to become the professional that I want to be, to grow the business that I want to grow, it has to start with my own mindset and my own belief that I belong. And I have to, on a daily basis, uh, create practices that allow me to see myself there, right? So that's, that. yeah, that is such an interesting concept that it starts with you. I, I don't think a lot of people look at it that way, Regine. I think that's really refreshing that your own image and your own mind of your self-belonging has to come first. I think that's a really important way to look at it. What was your first job in, in the wine sector? The first, my first job, well, I was a server. So I, I, you know, that is definitely a part of it. The best wine professionals start off that way, don't we all? Exactly, exactly. But it was with a small importer called Direct Import Wine Company. They're no longer around, but I was so fortunate because I got to sell some beautiful wines, you know, Bollinger, Pine Ridge, uh, Schaefer, you know, at a very young age. So um, that was the first job I had. A good one, for sure. And, yes, yes, for sure. And definitely, well, the great thing is that that job, I'm, I'm getting the feeling that that job encouraged you to stay in the sector and to establish your space there. Actually, it didn't, to be honest with you. I was in my early 20s and I was in the industry for about, I'd say two and a half, three years. And then I left and went into pharmaceutical sales. 
because at that time, I don't know what the salaries are. To be quite honest with you, it wasn't really lucrative for me. I, I know. Is, is anything in the wine industry really lucrative for anyone? That's a question that I wonder about quite a lot. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I, I didn't stay around long. I, I chased the money. But the truth is, you know, my my heart was in the wine industry and I knew I would always come back. I didn't know how I was going to get back, but I knew I would get back. Great, great. Well, it's it's interesting because you went from one industry that's pretty tough on young women to another one. Pharmaceuticals is, you know, especially at the time when you were getting into it, it was is not exactly welcoming to young women either. So you had the whole double whammy of misogyny and, and racism hindering you. You know, I've I've been in the wine industry for about 20 years and definitely women were being challenged as not belonging when I started and and even still now sometimes. How how do you feel our industry is doing now compared to when you started out? Well, you know, I know this is not the the popular answer. I just want to go back. You you talk about the hindrance of being African American and being woman. You know, I'm not hindered by it. I think society is hindered by it. That is such a good point and I and I think that's important to to hear. Yeah. I mean, you know, who I am is an asset. My, you know, all of it, the good, the bad, you know, the, the hard, the easy, that's all an asset. And I've always believed that. So, you know, if, if the people that I'm working with don't see it, you know, shame on them because people like me, I, and people like me are here to add something. So the ones who get it, they they benefit from it. The ones who don't get it, they lose out. That is really what I think. And I, I do think that our industry, to answer your question, we're getting better because there are more people who feel empowered to speak. And it's coming from different sides. You know, there are male allies, there are um, non-people of color allies, you know, so because there are more voices, I do see change and there's a lot of work to do, but I think we are on our way. I agree with that. And and I hope that we can take sort of the momentum and, and keep it coming. I think it's so important to have these conversations. You know, you have, as you said, you didn't see it as a hindrance and nothing held you back because you've been very successful. So you left pharmaceuticals and, and what came next? Because I want to get to the point where I can ask you about shall we wine, I'm excited. So jumping from pharmaceuticals back to wine, what was the journey? My journey was long and I, you know, I got in my own way because of fear. That's another topic for another podcast. But so I went from pharmaceuticals to um, litigation consulting in 2013, so all sales and marketing was my background. 2013, I got the biggest gift ever. I was laid off and I knew the company was going to lay me off about a year before it happened. There were just certain trends that I could see. And so what I did was I gave up my luxury apartment. I paid off all my debt and I prepared myself to become a full-time entrepreneur. So when I in 2013, I'm sitting on my couch. I have a severance package. I have very little debt. And I decided to create a business plan. And I knew for me, it would be wine. I didn't honestly know what it would look like. But what I did was I said, what is it that you want to do? I wanted to be in the wine business. I wanted a business that was focused uh, to consumers. And I wanted to do television. And I just mapped it all out. And what I came up with was creating an experiential marketing company. 
uh, where we did demos. And, you know, for those who don't know, you know, a distributor or an importer will hire a team to go out and do demos at festivals and stores and, you know, private event as a way to get consumers to taste their wines, to try their product. It's called, you know, lip to glass. And I knew I would be strong at this because one, I had a marketing background too. I had a lot of management background. So I knew how to train people. And then three, I had this, this passion for wine. And that's, that's how the business started. It's so interesting how, you know, you kind of had a pre-COVID experience when you got laid off and, you know, you were at home, like all of us were for the past couple of years, you turned it into an opportunity, which I think is you know, inspiring and, and really shows a depth of strength and belief in yourself that is, you know, not only admirable, but, you know, you turned it into action. So that's, that's really pretty cool. I think you're, you're, you're even being very humble about what you've done, because I love your mission. You know, I, your mission is to work with the consumers, and you've referred to it as an art form. And I completely agree, because I'm an educator, um, and a writer as well. And it's, it's the, connecting the story and not just the story about the region, but you've said everything that happens to create a bottle of wine creates a story that makes you feel something. So your sort of natural inclination to to teach that and get that message out, you know, how are you interacting with your audience? Are you going out there doing the demos or are you just on TV? Tell me about what you're actually doing. What's a day in the life of Regine look like? Oh, a day in the life of Regine is a crazy, crazy day. <laughs> How did I know that would be the answer? Yes. Um, well, now, you know, because of COVID, there are very few demos. Uh, but what I was doing in terms of the demos was educating my team, uh, working with them, and so that I, I taught them how to speak and present to consumers so that they can connect the story of the wine to the story of the bottle when they're facing consumers. Today, what I'm doing is I'm writing a lot. Uh, I'm creating content for, for my clients. So for example, I just finished uh, a project for um, Pinot Grigio del Venezia, uh, where we, my team and I created 14 videos geared towards consumers, and they're all lifestyle videos. The, what was, you know, I had to write the script. I had to think of ways uh, to connect to the consumer, to connect the product to the consumer. And, and that's a lot of work because I have to take off my, my own wine training and I have to say, if I was a regular person and I wanted to understand or feel or experience Pinot Grigio del Venezia, how would I do that? And what context would I put the product? Um, and then try to create a video that really shares that story. So that's a lot of the work that I did this month. And it's the same thing with television. You know, I do a, a monthly segment and again, I have to think about what are the tidbits that I want the consumer to walk away with, but how do I put the wines or the spirits that I'm trying to present in a context that they can relate to? It's so interesting, this idea of having to step away from our own wine-rich background and put ourselves in the shoes of consumers who might be new to wine or who certainly know less about it than we do. You know, it, it is almost like a foreign language. You, you obviously have a good affinity for languages. You've got, you know, French and Creole and English, but there's a lot of discussion lately about including 
more cultures and more food traditions and more language uh, when we talk about wine than just the typical Eurocentric way, you know, that we've always looked at wine through sort of our traditional training programs. I mean, you you wrote a great article, you know, talking about uh, the language of wine. You said that we need to make some room for other voices and cultures. I completely agree with this. One of my favorite things to do with my clients is to pair uh, food from other countries with traditional wines, which doesn't get done often enough. But what did you mean about that um, in terms of making room for other voices and cultures in the way we talk about wine? Yeah, I believe what you're referring to. I, I didn't write an article by it, but I was quoted in an article. Um, so, you know, our language, so if you and I were tasting together, you know, we could, because of our, you know, similar training, uh, you know, we could talk about high acid, you know, low acid, medium body, medium plus, and have a conversation that most consumers would have no idea what we're talking about, right? Completely true. Completely true. And so we've developed a language that you and I can understand. Um, I believe that when we are trying to include uh, consumers into the conversation, we should broaden our um, our vocabulary, and we can use things that are accessible to us. For example, poetry, uh, music, uh, you know, common shared common experiences. So that's what I mean. And I think that when we broaden that there, you know, I I do want to say this, there is a need for professionals to have a shared language, right? There has to be, or else we couldn't begin the conversation. I, I agree with that. Exactly. Now, does a shared language have to be based only in one culture No, because as we diversify the industry, we are going to have a richer vocabulary because we'll be able to pull things from all of our colleagues, right? From the culture of our colleagues. Yeah, thank goodness. Let's move away from gooseberry. Yes, which no one knows what that means. (laughs) Exactly. You know, but... You know, so the, the point is that I, I think that we we have to use everything that's accessible to us because that's what wine gives us. I tasted a um, champagne uh, lanson. It was there. Oh my goodness! I believe it was two thousand seven Clos, and I was completely blown away because this wine made me feel. You know, when you're right about to cry, mm-hmm. and the way that you're body the way that you the, the way that your body changes when you're you're going to cry you know the tears are coming that's how the wine made me feel i think lanson's going to have you on the phone in about 10 minutes regine that's <laughs> that's such a moving description and you're you're so right as i said i i'm an educator and i often work with young students in their early 20s and i think being able to tap into you know something that's part of our humanity rather than a very strict and tailored language that we have to learn to talk about wine is is much more to the point. I, I was right there with you in that moment because, you know, what you described physically is so human for all of us. Mm-hmm. And that's what we, we need to make room for that in this industry. We need to make room and it's okay for me to describe the wine in that way. And it's okay for me not, you know, I can still be a wine professional 
and talk about wine in that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Someone else can be a professional and talk about the structure of the champagne and talk about, you know, the the terroir. And it's okay. There's there's room for all of us. And I think it does it adds layers to our ability to communicate. You know, the fact that you have the the traditional structured background, but you have connected it to your humanity. I think that that gives more of a depth to your ability to communicate that wine. So I, I love where you're going with this. And I, I know that you are also an author. Um, you've got a book called Searching for Cloves and Lilies, the wine edition. And I know it started out originally as your own book of poetry, and then you paired the poems with wine. So I want to know how on earth this came about and how you did this, because I, I see where you're going with you know your humanity and your, your emotional side and connection it with wine. So I want to hear how you paired it with the poetry. I've done some wine and art pairing, but I've never tried with poetry. And that sounds so fascinating. Well, I, I have to tell you this. I give all credit to my mentors, uh, the world wine guys, uh, Jeff Jensen and Mike DeSimone, because the idea of pairing wine and poetry, I, I just never even conceptualized it. <laughs> I didn't either until I read about this. Yeah, I had a conversation with them and shared my ambitions, you know, very early on. That's I think it was 2016 when I met them and I just told them, you know, this is who I what I want to do and it, I want to be on TV and I want to share wine with the consumers and you know, they encouraged me to write a book and I said there's no way being a writer is one of the most frightening things that I have ever done. And um, I told them, I said, you know, I have a book and it was so emotional. It was just, I, I just never want to do that again. And I, they asked me about the book and I told them that it was a book of poetry. And right away they said, well, how about pairing poetry and wine? And it was again, like that moment in Besançon where I was in a space where I knew my life had changed because I knew I was going to do this. Yeah, no matter how daunting, the idea was going to stick with you. And it was daunting. It took a year, even though the poems were written, it took a year. And I remember sending my first rewrites to them and they said, mm, uh, you're on your way, but not quite. And they were so encouraging. And when I sent the last one and they were like, you got something here. And, you know, I, I, they did not edit the book, but they were very encouraging and, you know, saying, keep going, keep going. Um, and it, it was great. So how I did it was I connected the story of the wine to the story of the poem, just like I described, you know, the, the L'Anson Clos and how it had this emotional effect on me. I use the emotion from the wines or from the poetry to make a connection. I've got to ask you, where does one get one's hands on this book? Can I get it on Amazon? <laughs> where do we find it? Yes, it is available on Amazon. And I've had a few friends order it for, uh, there in Switzerland and Amazon was able to deliver it to them. So for you know everyone listening, yes, please pick it up on Amazon. Fantastic. Well, I, I'm going to do that and I shall let you know how Amazon in Italy does. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this has been so inspirational and really eye-opening. I, I love where you're taking this. I, I want to ask you before I let you go, what 
you know, what are your goals for 2022 with Shall We Wine? Where are you going? What's what projects have you got coming up? Yeah, so uh, I I am looking to make the company international. So that has already happened with my work with Pinot Grigio del Venezia. So I'm looking for a few more international clients. I would like to do more television segments. And when the world opens up and allows us to again, I, I do want to get back to experiential marketing. So for me, this year uh, during COVID is about more international clients and creating creating content for them. I am working on my next book. It is not a wine book, but will continue to write and uh, you know be be here for consumers who want to be a part of our world. Fantastic. Well, as this is the Italian wine podcast, I have got to ask what is your favorite Italian wine and when would you crack open a bottle of that? So, that's a tough question. It always is. I, it's a tough one for me, so I love asking it of other people. <laughs> it's it's so hard. So, I'm going to say it's got a it's Italian whites. I'm actually writing an article on Italian whites because I'm just like, oh my God, people need to be drinking more Italian white wine. So completely, I'm obsessed. Yeah. Today I'm going to say, okay, I have to say Pinot Grigio del Venezia because I drink like six bottles in the last two weeks, <laughs> but I'm going to yes, say- sounds, sounds good. Yes. I, I'm going to go with Suave. I'm a huge fan of Suave and I, I just- want more people to understand how delicious these wines are. Well, that's made my day because I actually live in the Suave denomination. So Suaves are some of my my favorite wines at the moment. I'm enjoying having them right on my doorstep. So that's amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, and I'm really happy that you came on the show today. And thank you for being so open with us um, about all of the really personal stuff you're doing in your wine career. It's great to hear you. And I'm really happy to have had this time to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vignitaly International Wine and Spirits Exhibition, the biggest drinks trade fair in the world. For more information about Vignitaly and tickets, visit vignitaly.com. And remember to subscribe to Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find us at italianwinepodcast.com. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.